Hello, and welcome to Sonic Sketchbooks. I'm your host, Gary Warner. Uh, different intro music this week. That was a fragment of uh, Craig Grady playing one of his mesotonal vibraphones. This week's program is an interview with the duo Clocks and Clouds, Craig Grady and Tarumi Narashima. And uh, I conducted the interview at their home south of Wollongong um, in a room completely full of uh, shelves full of CDs and books and uh, maps and posters and crowded with Craig's uh, home-built instruments. Craig and Tarumi work with unusual tunings uh, with up to, for example, 37 tones in an octave. And Craig devises and builds his own instruments, often working with uh, pre-existing instruments that he modifies and transforms into new instruments that can accommodate these unusual tunings. Before we hear from Craig and Tarumi, let's listen to one of the compositions of Clocks and Clouds, and this recording titled Collaboros.
this track uh, gives you quite a good impression of the unique uh, soundscape that's generated uh, when clocks and clouds play. They always play acoustically. Uh, the instruments are not amplified. Uh, the uh, experience of the music is reliant upon the resonant frequencies uh, that are available within each given space. So a performance of the same composition will vary from space to space, often quite dramatically. Well, I think we were we were playing duos, and, and I think we needed we needed a name really quick. And I always liked a piece by Leggetti, and they called "Clocks and Clouds" based on the Karl Popper article "Clocks and Clouds." And but also, I think there was the idea that with, with, with "Clocks and Clouds" is, is that the the organ is kind of like it's got it's kind of like clouds because it's got like this, this, this slowly moving thing. And because I'm playing the vibraphone, it's almost like I'm clicking out seconds of time. And do you both compose? Do you compose to Rumi as well? Um, probably, well, all the, the composition happens by it's, it's Craig's compositions, but I have a say. <laughs> and uh, some of the scores that Craig creates are more like a graphic or, or a visual sort of um, presentation um, with, with a bit of leeway in how that's um, interpreted um, and that's inbuilt by Craig. So sometimes I interpret it in my own sort of uh, composerly way. So um, I think the design is for it to be um, improvised and um, there are different ways in which we improvise but the, I know that I t have a tendency to sort of follow particular pathways that appeal to me based on what he provides. time that you perform one of those pieces there's a there's like it's unique it tends to interact with the different spaces the 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 the, the sound will be quite different and and uh, uh, whereas all, all the pitches are, are, are predetermined and then the order in which they happen is pretty much pre predetermined when um, when things happen in the space there's a tendency to like to stay on on that one area in order to you know explore it and then if you move to something else and it doesn't quite um, you know resonate as well in the room then you might move quicker past through those passages so so, so you're sort of listening you're hearing and feeling is one of the things about your music is it mm. you really sort of feel it in your body it's very experiential and sometimes you really can't even tell where the sound's coming from and that's yeah. a that's to do with the harmonic resonance in the space because it's tuned exactly to m mathematical ratios and you know to, to high harmonics and stuff it tends to often create um standing waves what i understand now that that I, i've never seen uh, 
really discussed, but that but the, the corners of rooms actually acts as like a, what is called like a trough resonator. So like, you know, you have the waveform coming from bouncing off of three walls and then at, at an equal distance, it, it kind of gels right there in that space. Okay. When people say that they hear the sound from somewhere else, most often in the, the point to a corner. But it is funny, sometimes we're performing and we do sort of notice people turning around looking behind them to, to see where the sound source mm. is and uh, or we've had um, people come up to us afterwards and say oh I feel as though my inner ear got a really good massage and I, <laughs> I um, felt some muscles in my ears that, that I didn't know exist before I'm sure they're not muscles but it was just an interesting way to describe the the sensations that they um, experienced from hearing us live Pretty much, or modify one. Looking at one here that's maybe three meters long. Uh, yeah, yeah, this one uh, is really fun because just about anyone can play this one. of metal bars. How many do you have in an octave, Craig? Um, it's 37 pitches in the octave. Instead of the normal sort of 12 of the western scale. Yeah. And so I guess what, what you're doing is by dragging the mallet across all the bars, it's creating a glissando sliding like effect. Yeah. Well, looking at them here, they look like there's a short one and a long one. So, um, I didn't have the advantage of having matching glockenspiel bars. Oh, I see. They came from three or four different sets. But even then, I think um, I was sitting right next to it, so then I started feeling something buzzing in my skull. But the, the, the space that we play in makes it matters to us as a lot when we're playing. Mm. And sometimes we might do a quick sound check before a performance, and it'll be one way. And then as soon as bodies enter the space, that changes the, the resonance of the space. And there are times when we can hear each other, and we're right next to each other, I'm on the organ, Craig's on the vibraphone, and then for some reason we'll start performing and I can see him play but I can't really hear very clearly what's going on and so it's almost like a leap of faith that what we're doing is translating to how we want it to translate to the audience out there. And it does, but sometimes um, strange things happen acoustically in spaces. Yeah, well, that's a, that, that's a property of the tuning and, 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 and that's because the tuning is based on recurrent sequences, kind of like the Fibonacci series. This instrument with 37 pitches, the, the, the Escalade, which I call it, actually in, incorporates this, the 12-tone tunings of this. And so the three, you said there are three glockenspiels used to construct it. So I think, I, maybe it was four. It might have even been four or it might even have been five, I think. Craig collects bits and pieces of instruments like metal bars mm. and things that he can retune. To raise them, I have to file them off the end and to lower them, I... I file them in, in the middle.
mentioned that um, mm. when you say 37 tones in an octave, the 37 tones aren't spaced equally apart, which is an assumption for like piano tuning. The 12 notes yes, in the yeah. octave are mm. spaced equally apart, but that's not the case with Craig's instruments. They vary in size. Um, which gives you more variety and more possibilities musically in terms of intervals and relationships. One of the beauties of this particular scale that um, Craig has based a lot of his instrument designs on is that all the notes do seem to fit in really well together and yeah you can play them in a way that you can't really play a wrong note but that's not just an accident it's, it's something about the tune that you have selected to make these instruments on but what's also nice is that I find that this scale can offer all sorts of shades. Um, so it's not just like a major scale only or a minor scale only. There's all these other shades like light and dark or however you want to describe it that you can pull out of the, the notes. What's, what I find interesting about it is people, you know, a lot of people, you know, they think in order to do something new, it has to get, you know, it has to be more dissonant or more, more out there or more aggressive or more, you know, confronting on some level whereas this music I find is actually it's something new that, that, that is more consonant than, than people are used to and, and and I think that that direction needs to be explored too because it it just uh, if anything it just offers even more contrast if you really want something dissonant. the reed organ for a second did you play that that instrument before you met Craig no no I I mean I was trained as a piano player but um the reed organ or the harmonium um sometimes I joke that it's my exercise bike because to get the sound you have to pump um with foot pedals originally they were instruments that were developed I believe so that missionaries could go out into you know remote areas and it's it's heavy but um it is portable um, and it has a few quirks, so certain notes require a little bit more air, a little bit more pumping, I find, to sort of sound. It's not like an immediate sort of a, a hammer sort of hitting the strings like on a piano. It's not so easy to play rhythms readily or easily. Um, when we call ourselves clocks and clouds and you have the idea of the organ being more cloud-like, it's partly because of the nature of the instrument. It needs a little bit of... Um, it's a mechanical yeah. instrument, right? It's... I feel yeah. as though it's it's less mechanical than some other instruments, though, in that it's you know produces sound through with air. So it's more like a body. Yeah, that's how I feel. So I'm pumping air into the thing, and what would you say, Craig? When you pump, it actually creates a vacuum, and then when you press on the key, the air is pulled pulled in into it. Ah. Yeah, yeah. For some, for some, I guess it was a easier design. So what about tuning this one? Then? Uh, well, this I actually had to buy. Uh, two of these to get reeds the, the right size to tune the scale because you know, the reeds are like these, these brass, the brass tongues. The tongue is kind of like a slit, you know, attached at the bottom and, and, yes. and be, on three sides it vibrates in between. Yes, I, yeah, to raise the pitch I file it off the end and then to, uh, and, it, and it's, you know, attached at the bottom there to lower it you have to file it there they're very they're very hard to, to find just the reeds by themselves so 
I've bought uh, probably more reeds than I'll probably ever use. And the instrument's like a glorified harmonica. <laughs> yeah, really, in a yes, sense. Yeah. Exactly, yeah, yeah. When I first got, got this one, um, which was actually being thrown in the trash, I, I thought that, yeah, it probably worked on pressure. I thought it worked, and it was only afterwards I realized, oh, wait a second, it's actually working on having the air pulled through these. Uh, Thirty-seven tones in the octave. Yeah, as you say, if they were sensitive to it, and I mean, there, there are like woodwind players who, who have, who have, uh, in recent years, and have really uh, worked up being able to play many divisions of the octave. Uh, I'll mention like Johnny Reinhardt, who uh, ran a, a microtonal festival in New York, going back and to the seventies, and and he can play thirty-one tones of the octave and. And lately, <laughs> and lately, he's a bassoon player. Yeah, bassoon. he's a bassoon player. And lately, he's he's been working with a with a tuning that has 128 pitches in the octave. And if you ask, and if you ask John Johnny to 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 play a scale, it wasn't like he could play it slowly. <laughs> he can he can run up and down these things. So, are there are there particular kind of clocks and clouds works that you you know play all the time? I mean, especially in that sort of improvisatory space. Our performances in, involve many different pieces. It's just that uh, we've worked out different different bridges in between to keep up this continuous flow. So I'm going to explain it differently. Well, I think what actually happens is that we we try out lots of different things. Some things work, some things don't work so well. It's like modular music, I think. Yeah, it? it is. Yeah, I think the idea of, of it being modular is, is kind of kind of a good description of it. I would like to expand the, the, the members of Clocks and Clouds because I have all these instruments and, uh, and, and but, but basically when I, when I designed all these instruments I actually took a clue from, from Lou Harrison who, who said that he found that the problem with Harry Parch's instruments is that, is that he designed all these instruments but the instruments didn't necessarily work together that well. Like his, his string, you know, it's like his string instruments ended up having to be amplified because they're very extremely soft. And so when Lou, Lou made instruments, he kind of modeled them on gamelan instruments because there are all these different sounds in that, in that one ensemble that all work together. When I, whenever I make instruments, I think about like what is missing from an ensemble.
you're talking about the duration of the performances of Cox and Cats. We've had people like like musicians, trained musicians, who who've said, "Oh, when when I first heard Cox and Clouds, the beginning, it was really unsettling because it just sounded like it was out of tune." But you know, given a bit of time, they could sense that this tuning made its own sense. And then once they let go of what their sort of preconditioned sort of sense of what was in tune and not in tune, once they let that go, they could enjoy it. So I think that duration helps settle people's ears into a new new territory perhaps so well I've always, I've always liked from uh, like indian music the idea of a of, of ragas where it's a, it's not always changing instead of going outside of things outside of what they're doing it's almost like they're going deeper inside of, of what's already there so they'll, they'll have like very long rhythmic patterns that repeat and i, I think that the short duration thing is, isn't particularly good for people. Some ideas just don't develop. In fact, I think most things grow amazingly slow. With clocks and clouds, there's one, one piece we do quite a bit. Well, I think the, the first version was done in, in 2000. That, that piece is, is, is morphed and I think it's like, it's like an it's eighth version of a ma- of major changes. I, I think I think of it as almost like a tree that everything everything no matter what you do, sometimes things just grow the speed of a tree. There's really nothing you can do to make it grow any faster. So um, sometimes when I'm playing the harmonium, I use these heavy weights and place them on top of the keys. So instead of pressing the keys with my fingers, I can place these weights and um, it means I can have multiple notes sustained while I um, pedal um, and use my fingers to do other things. It actually allows uh, spacing of chords that you can't do with your hands. You can actually take a note that's really high and take it off and, and, and add a note that's low, like something you could have, can't take your mm. finger and have it jump past the other hand. Usually you sort of notice when a new note enters, and so when you press a note, that's what you notice. But I think you, 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 Craig makes a feature of the moment where you take a note off, and that becomes like a musical gesture that, that you notice by using these weights, putting them on and off. Yeah, it's like kind of like a use of negative space in a way. So you, you get like a certain type of resonance or wave thing going on, and you take one note off and the whole pattern will change. And the, the scores that, that um, Craig creates for that style of playing with the weights is, is quite interesting as well. It's, it's uh, called Clava Scribo, but it's your own version of Clava, Clava Scribo where these lines that represent... Um, the the keys on the the organ, and then he has these symbols of where to place the weights. So I think of it like tablature. So I read it one way with the lines going vertically down the page. For some reason, Craig is able to read it horizontally, <laughs> and I just can't do that. Yeah. <laughs> and, and it's actually it's really nice for like people that that don't read traditional music. And they could they could pick it up quite quickly. It, it's not a good notation for notating rhythm. 
quite yeah, well. And I, it works well for some of the style of music that we do for Clocks and Clouds, where the duration is really what you decide in the moment, in the space, depending on what's going on. And speaking of like trying to uh, the, the, the changing the sound by removing a note, I've tried to notate it in, in, in normal notation, and it's just a nightmare. You got this cluster of notes, and then, and then you're going, you're doing all these ties to, to fill up the duration, and then, and then, and then this note isn't there. Notation is always something I'm always thinking about, and and it's like, what are the ways? Can you notate things, or or, or or if there's a notation system, what does this notation system allow you to do that you couldn't do otherwise? Mm. I think that's that's mm -hmm. I think that's always. Before this set of instruments, I, I, I had built a whole other ensemble of instruments that, that some had like 31 tones of the octave, and, and I think the smallest ones had 22 tones of the octave, that 22 being a subset of that 31. Mm -hmm. but, but, but it was, um, you're talking about instruments that were between two and three meters long, <laughs> and, and even if they were divided in half, it would it would take one vehicle to move one, one instrument, instrument. Mm -hmm. and it just got to be... I think the world was different when Parch was, was alive, you know? Yes. I think I finally realized it's like, no, <laughs> no, you can't do this, and you can't do things quite that big. I mean, I have some big ones there, but they, they, they break down. Thanks to Craig and Turumi for this conversation. The musical excerpts that you heard as breakers in the conversation 
uh, were all recorded by me uh, on my iPhone at uh, various um, clocks and clouds performances over the past four to five years. Uh, you can support clocks and clouds by searching for them on Bandcamp. And there are links and more information about Craig and Turumi's activities on the podcast webpage at sonicsketchbooks.net. Sonic Sketchbooks is supported by the New South Wales Government through a small projects grant from Create New South Wales.